And God is bigger than any problem you are facing. You're going to see today as we continue on this journey called We Believe, you'll see that God is bigger than any situation you're facing. And I believe by the time we're finished, you're going to be skipping and dancing, doing cartwheel into your car outside. Amen? Amen. Folks, you'd be like, what you guys been drinking up in there in that gathering place? Tell them we're drinking the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen. Are you at John chapter 19, verse 38 to verse 42? John chapter 19, verse 38 to verse 42. I'm reading from the Amplified Version um, of this scripture. Listen as I read this scripture. Uh, We've been on a journey. We started on Friday. We looked at the trial, and we concluded that the trial of Jesus Christ, the six different trials that he went through, that every single one of those trials was illegal. It was illegal. And yet Jesus still submitted to the Father's plan for redemption for you and I. That's where our journey began. So let me make this statement to you. The Lord said this. It is not the points of your presentation, Rowan, that I want my people to receive. I want my people to receive, write this down, the power of my presence. It is not the points. It is not the three points or the four points that I make. But it is the power of God's presence that will transform your life. It doesn't matter where you are geographically. It doesn't matter where you are emotionally. It doesn't even matter where you are spiritually. This may be your first time in church, or you may have been in church your entire life. You were actually born at the altar, literally born at the altar. It doesn't matter. Let's never forget it is the power of his presence that brings transformation. And not the points that are presented. Yes, we can have great points and we can be eloquent. And you will see that as I present, I'm not the most eloquent of all preachers. But like the Apostle Paul said, I'd rather come in the demonstration of the power of God than the eloquence of my words. Uh, So are we all in agreement with that? You see what I'm saying? So the journey began and so we are moving not just from the points of presentation, but we are moving and we are taking you corporately through this process of getting to this resurrection and what it means to live a resurrected life. What it means to live a resurrected life. And so as we begin this journey, I want to make this declaration here. The message of Easter, the message of the crucifixion, the message that began on Good Friday and that we conclude or that we come to now in this Easter time of getting together is the most inclusive message ever presented to humanity. This word inclusive has been hijacked by the politically correct group. And this word inclusive without God has taken on some deformed and some warped meanings. But I'm going to tell you that this word inclusive first began in the Father in heaven. Who declared in John 3 verse 16 more than just a scripture that is presented at a football game. Or if the Buckeyes are playing O-H-I-O. More importantly than that, it is simply God is saying through John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Inclusive. It doesn't matter what skin color you are. It doesn't matter what. It doesn't matter whatsoever that it is the agape. A, the love of God, and the enemy has twisted the love, and you're living in filial, or you're living in exotic love, the Greek word. But in the Bible, those lustful words are never mentioned. It is always the agape, or the filial, the brother love that's mentioned. And what God wants you to understand, the reason why he doesn't bring perversion is because there's nothing perverted about God. He cannot print, he cannot proclaim something that's not of his nature. And so outside of God, the word inclusive will take on a perverted meaning. But inside of God, you recognize it is the agape of God. You recognize that you are on a journey to glorification. That what began in the garden is what God wants to bring to climax in your life. So the more you open yourself to the power of his presence, the more inclusive you become. Mm. So as a church then, we don't judge based on who's coming in. Why? Because the power of his presence is going to do a work in the heart and in the mind of that individual. And they're going to leave saying, wow, the agape of love is God is transforming me. Can someone say amen? Amen. Come on, somebody. Huh? We welcome everybody because the message of Easter is inclusive. 
Amen, somebody? People that used to, I can't come to church because I don't have the right clothing. No, the gospel is inclusive. I can't come because I don't fit in. No, the gospel message is inclusive because it demonstrates the Father's love. Amen. Now, I'll give you enough time to go to John 19, verse 38, verse 42. If you haven't found it yet, you don't know where it is in your Bible. Let's continue. And the Bible says, as we look at the first point now, is the tomb. The tomb. And after this, Joseph of Arimathea, a disciple of Jesus, underline that. A disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate to let him take away the body of Jesus. Now, what an amazing request. Here is an individual now who is secretly a disciple of Jesus, finds himself now going to Pilate, the one who gave with his thumbs up and his thumb up, and he says, do we crucify him, bless you, or do we, do, do we execute him? And the thumb went down and said, crucify him. This man of authority, uh, Joseph, goes to him now, and I believe it was divinely orchestrated by God to ask for the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. I'm here to tell you, church, that when we understand the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and we see God in operation, that God is solely working through religious leaders or through rulers of this world to accomplish his purpose and his plan for the body of Christ. All right, hear what I'm saying. Pilate, who has no regards for God, is part of the plan that God is executing to bring about your and I redemption. Wow. Think about that for a second. So he came and took away his body. Verse 39, Nicodemus, who had first come to him at night, also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and alloys, weighing about a hundred pounds. So they took Jesus' body and bound it in a linen wrapping with a fragrant spices, as it is the burial custom of the Jews. Now, there was a garden at the place where he was crucified, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one has yet been laid. Therefore, because of the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. So Friday night, this is all taking place. They come, and, and they get him ready for burial, and they're bringing him, and they're saying, hey, it's getting dark. We can't uh, go against the Jewish customs of the Sabbath. The sun's about to go down, and we've got to obey the rules and the law. And watch God now fulfilling prophetic promises. I'm here to tell you, listen to me, that when God declares a promise over your life, it will come to pass as long as you continue to believe. As long as you continue to believe. And so David had quoted the Psalms that his body will not see decay. It will not see corruption. And here they come now. And Joseph says, hey, here is my tomb that I purchased for myself. But now let's get the master and let's put him in this borrowed tomb. It is interesting that Jesus, who owns everything, had nothing. Jesus, who owns everything, had nothing. But yet he was the most prosperous person on the planet. Because what he had was the love of the Father. And with having the love of the Father, he was so consumed, being in the will of his Father, that he was willing to lay down his life and die. Trusting that if God can cause his creation or cause his birth, he will also resurrect the dead. And so here it is now that they put him in the tomb and they put him away. And so the story now begins that here he is. He's in the tomb. And the first thing we read is this. The concern of the chief counsel. So my first point is this. The tomb, when you look at the tomb, the first thing you have to look at is this. The concern of the chief counsel. The religious group. They have been under this conspiracy for so long. They've been trying to execute Jesus. They've been trying to manipulate and trying to do everything they can to get rid of Jesus. But I'm here to tell you, it's like a beach ball that you take into the water. The more you try to push it down, it's got to pop back up again. 
And you can put your leg on that beach ball and try to sink it under the water, but it's got to come back up again. And that's the beauty of Jesus. That's why when you come to a radical church who loves Jesus, it doesn't matter what law they pass. It doesn't matter what restriction they place on us. You can't stop us from giving God praise and giving God glory. There is something about the name of Jesus. Someone say Jesus. Oh, there is something about the name that causes people to get concerned. You can say Buddha and that's okay. And you can say Muhammad and that's okay. But you mentioned the name of Jesus. Whoa. You can't go there now. Come on. You can use it as a cuss word. But when you use it as Christ and Lord, they got to tell you you got to be quiet. You can't say that name. You can't wear that name. You can't live that name. The concern of the chief council. This is the political class. This is, this is the one that's trying to silence the church. But I'm here to tell you, as long as I have breath, as long as Gary has breath, as long as Rochelle has breath, come on, as long as Ian has breath, come on, somebody, as long as Karen has breath, as long as Richie has breath, come on, let everything that has breath do what? Come on, if you got breath, I want you to open up your mouth this Resurrection Sunday. And if the person beside you is nervous, tell him don't be nervous. There's just something about the name of Jesus. I've got to open my mouth and I've got to praise him. Woo! I'm out of Pentecostal church. Come on, somebody. Yeah. Woo! You can't talk about the tune. Come on and don't talk about the concern. Hey, hey. Oh, my God. Hallelujah, somebody. I'm telling you here, listen, I don't care what law they try to pass. I don't care who they put on Supreme Court. Mm-mm. As long as we got one or two who are gathered. Come on, somebody. In my name. <laughs> Woo. Glory be to God. I'm telling you. So the Bible says in Matthew 27, verse, 60, verse 62 and verse 66. The next day, that is after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate. Now, again, Pilate has another audience. Pilate must be thinking, what in the world is going on this weekend? What is happening if this gets back to Caesar? If this gets back to Caesar, I'm in trouble. What do you want now? I gave you him. What more do you want? What is your concern now? I passed the law. What more do you want? Wearing down Pilate. He says, hey, Pilate. Um, we remember <laughs> how that imposter said, can't even call him Jesus, called him the imposter. We remember uh, uh, what the imposter said. While he was still alive, after three days, I will rise. Now, now, now listen, church. They're making a confession. Come on. They could have simply said, hey, let's just seal up the tomb. But they had to say, this imposter said this. Ah, that in three days, I will arise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he is risen from the dead. And the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, you have a guard of soldiers, plural. Go, make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. Get the scene now. They make it to Joseph's tomb. They put the body in there. They finish the embalming. He's in there. And now the guards show up. On the orders from Pilate. They say, we're going to secure the tomb. And what they would do is they would take a seal. The Roman seal. And they would place it on the tomb. 
And so everyone that would walk by would say, I can't even come near that tomb. Think about it. It's one thing to have the seal on the tomb. It's another thing to have the stone and the size of the boulder that went in front of the door. Number two. But number three, they had to put a soldier who was at guarding the seal and the stone. What are they afraid of? What are they afraid of? To have three levels of security. Come on, somebody. Three firewalls, so to speak. <laughs> that, that nobody could go in. You listen to me, guys. Listen to me. Nobody could go in. Now they're satisfied. My second point after the custom is now, so after the concern, is now the custom of the spices. The custom of the spices. Luke 24 verse 1. Luke 24 verse 1 says, But on the first day of the week, that's today, at the first day of the week, this is Sunday, at early dawn, the woman went to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared to finish anointing the body. This was the custom of the spices. There was significance in them bringing the spices. And the women, they're coming together and they're, they're talking to each other. And they're now asking the question, we've got to finish embalming the body. They know that the seal is there. And they know the size of the stone. And they know that the soldiers are there. But yet they are still saying to each other, who is going to roll away the stone? Oh, God, get that, get that. Their custom was leading them to a crisis. Their custom is how are we going to finish? And so they are now in mourning. They are now wondering what's going on. And so here they get to a place, and, and here's why, because, because historically, it says that when somebody was respected as an individual, the larger the quantity of the costly spice and ointment, the more honor you were showing. Joseph and Nicodemus, the Bible tells us, 100 pounds. The cost that's associated with Christ. And here they're saying, now what are we going to do? How are we going to now get the stone to roll away? And so as they walk closer to the tomb, as they were walking and talking with each other, Mark chapter 16 says, when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salem purchased sweet-smelling spices so that they might go and anoint him. Very early in the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. And they were saying to one another, who will roll back the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? But here it is now, Matthew 28, verse 2. Something stopped Mary and Martha. Something interrupted their journey. And verse 2 of chapter 28 of Matthew says, and behold, someone say behold. There was a great earthquake. For the angel of the Lord descended from heaven. Come on, somebody. The angel was saying, Daddy, do I go now? He says, not yet. They're not there. Do I go now? Not yet. They're not there yet. Do I go now? Not yet. They're not there. Now. And the angel came down with the earthquake. And the angel, good God Almighty. I don't care about the seal of Rome. I am sent from the government of God. I don't care the size of the boulder. I can do all things through Christ. And I don't care about the soldiers I'm going to push away the stone it is one thing to push away the stone but he sat up on that stone and said so what devil what are you going to do now come on cancer what you going to do now Come on, depression, what you're going to do now? Come on, high blood pressure, what you're going to do now? Come on, loneliness, what you're going to do now? Come on, every label you've called me, what you're going to do now? I'm sitting upon the stone that they thought was able to keep people out from coming in. 
He sat on it, woman of God. He sat on the stone. There was an angel. This wasn't, this wasn't an angel. This wasn't Michael. This was just an angel. Come on. I mean, the power of the resurrection, he says, ah, we don't need Michael or Gabriel for this one. Angel, you just go. Pushes the stone away so that they can go and present, come on, somebody, the, the, the spices. And they laid the spice down, and this is what happened. See, see, they came, they, they came with the spices. They came with the custom of the spices, but they left with the creativity of the Spirit. Oh, God Almighty. They came thinking something was dead, but they encountered the Spirit. Uh, come on, somebody. The creativity of the Spirit. If you are going to have the stone rolled away from your life, you can't do it looking at dead things. You can't go to a dead church. You can't be in dead relationships. You've got to be in a relationship that's alive, and it's only alive by the creativity of the Spirit of God. Someone say, I need the Spirit of God. I need the Spirit of God. I'm no longer living in dead relationships. Come on, somebody. I'm no longer living in dead things because dead things stink. Dead things don't smell good. Religion stinks. Come on, somebody. What we need is a relationship. And the only thing that can get you a relationship is the creativity of the Spirit. I think the Bible says in the beginning that the Spirit of God moved. Come on, somebody. On the face of the deep. And God right now, he's moving. He's moving, Dave, in your life. The creativity of God is moving in your life. Look at your hands. Come on. You got creative hands. Look at your feet. You got creative feet. Come on, somebody. The Spirit. Spirit of God is moving on this Resurrection Sunday. And I don't care who you are, when the Spirit of God moves on your life, you've got to move the big toe if you have to. Come on, somebody. You've got to move your legs. It's not because I'm emotional. It's because the stone has been rolled away. Come on, somebody. And I'm no longer living in dead things. Woo! My God, someone came hungry this morning. Amen, somebody. Someone walked into this place knowing that you need the stone to roll away from some relationships. Somebody came in this morning. Thanks, Tom, for showing up. Come on, somebody. But you know that the stone needs to roll away. Hallelujah. Someone say roll away. Come on, roll away. Push. Someone say push. Come on, someone say push. Push is an acronym for pray until something happens. If you want the stone to roll away in your life, you've got to pray until something happens. Somebody say push. Come on, let them hear you on the TV. Someone say push. You've got to pray. You've got to praise until something happens. Come on, don't stop praying. Keep on praying. Keep on praising God until something happens. Until the earthquake starts to shake. Someone say push. That's the creativity of the Spirit. Romans chapter 8 verse 11 says this so you know that I'm teaching Bible. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead... Ian, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, he has also given life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Good God Almighty. Sir, there's nothing that can stop you when you understand the creativity of the spirit. Every artist knows what it means to be creative. Every artist, whether musically, whether through painting, whether through writing, and when you allow the Spirit of God to move in your life, you get a resurrection. Come on. So he's saying here now that the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells and lives in you. Don't you underestimate your value. Don't you put limitation on who you are. You are the temple of the Holy Ghost. And when Solomon said, as I get to the beginning of my message, what can hold the glory of God? This temple that I built that costs millions upon millions upon millions. I believe the price of this temple can pay off the debt. Come on, of the United States of America. And it still can't contain the glory of God. But here God says, look at your body. Look at your hands. Look at your fingerprints. The fullness of God dwells in you. Yeah. 
Daddy, I'm trying to get them to shout. I'm trying to let them know that this message is inclusive. If you know the Spirit of God dwells inside of you, you ought to open your mouth and give God some praise. You got to open your mouth and shout glory to God. Glory, glory, glory. So now, now the creativity of the Spirit says, why seek the living amongst the dead? Go quickly and tell my disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. Now go. Go. Go from the place of death and tell the gospel news he is risen. So many of us are still sitting in that place mourning. It's time for us to rejoice it. Get away from the dead place. Like he said, why seek the living amongst the dead? And quickly, what was their message? Their message is simply this. We believe the tomb is empty. We believe the tomb is empty. You can go to the grave of Muhammad. Oh, yep, he's still there. You can go to the grave of Buddha, still there. You can go to the grave of every man-made religion, and they're still there. But we believe the tomb is empty, good God Almighty. Now, now, now watch this, now watch this. The guards in Matthew 20, verse 11. The guards went into, so two people went to proclaim something. The ladies went and was teaching the resurrection. The guards went to the chief priest. I gotta stay in the light. Because if you take the guards go to the chief priest and says, Now listen, um, we were on duty, and um, this earthquake took place. And we felt as dead. I don't know what it was, uh, but the grave is open. Um, what do you want us to do? Now, isn't it interesting when you read this? He didn't go back to Pilate. They went back to the chief priest. They were under the orders of Pilate. He's the one that can dispatch the soldiers. And so they didn't go back to Pilate. They went back to the chief priest. Because if they went to Pilate and the prisoner escaped, it would be their life. And so they went back and says, now listen, this was on your watch. This is on your watch. And so I call this now the first thing of an empty tomb. And when we start talking about empty tomb, the first thing the world does is bring about a conspiracy theory. Oh, he hallucinated or, 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 or the disciples or something. And that originated right here. He says, now listen, what are we going to do? Let me give you some money. Isn't it interesting that Judas gave the money? They didn't want to take it. But they wanted to take money out to give it to the... Come on, somebody. That's how the devil works. Huh? Judas goes, I betrayed innocent blood. He throws the money. We can't touch the money. The soldiers come and says, I've seen him risen. Oh, we've got to keep you quiet. And they pay him. And it says that from this day on, it's been going like that. Okay? So the conspiracy theory. And so I wonder how the soldiers felt knowing that we've been paid off. But it didn't change the experience. Give me 10 more minutes. It didn't change the experience. I don't care how much money you take. I don't care what you do. It will never, once you encounter Jesus one time, one time, as soon as you encounter Jesus Christ, just one time, a real encounter with Jesus Christ, it will wreck your life forever. And you may deny it. You may say it didn't happen, but I'm here to tell you that one encounter with Jesus, one encounter with Jesus, just one, I'm not talking to, just one encounter with the resurrected Christ will change your life forever and forever and forever. So now, Mary, they tell the disciples, and they ran a marathon. Now, another interesting point. Ian, I noticed this. Watch this now. They told them that Jesus says, go meet me in Galilee. So we told them. And behold, you'll see him there. Why did they run to the tomb instead? He's risen. Let's go see where he's supposed to be. They ran back to the tomb. And John gets there first. He outran Peter. And John gets there, but John doesn't want to go in. John's just peeping in. 
And he's seeing something that looks like the, the silhouette, so to speak, or, or what they wrapped him in. He's seeing that. Peter finally gets there. Like, oh, oh, why are you standing outside? Come on, we need some Peters here. You see what I'm saying? You see, you see, today you might just be looking, but I'm telling you, go step in. Come on, don't run all the way to church and then don't go all the way in, somebody. You might as well just go all the way. Come on, somebody. You might as well just lift that hand. Come on. It doesn't make any sense putting gas in your car, driving and changing your schedule to come into the house of God just to peep. You have got to just step on in. Come on, somebody. Oh, how many of you want to step into what God is doing? Uh, yeah, come on, come on, come on. Step in and see for yourself what God is doing. Mm. Peter now steps in and he sees the, he sees the grave clothes. I call this the clothing of the supernatural. <laughs> when you have an encounter with Jesus, it changes your garment. I think the Bible says I'm going to take off the, the garment of heaviness. And I'm going to put on the, the garment of praise. See, when you don't peek, but you step in, that heaviness has got to go. Come on, somebody. And you put on the garment of praise. Woo! Good God Almighty. Amen. You may say I don't have the right clothes to wear, but that's okay because all you need is the garment of praise. Come on. And if you put on the garment of praise, you are welcome because the most inclusive message is the message of Easter. And so Peter walks in and he says, I see the clothing of the supernatural. And I see the face cloth folded. So before Jesus jet out of the tomb, he says, things have got to be in order. Come on, somebody. Things have to be in order. And so he leaves it in order like that. He, he puts it in the right place because he knows that those who are going to step in needs to see order in their life. Huh? Yeah, so, so, so the body of Christ, the church, is in order. Come on, somebody. Because we need a resurrection experience, but when there's chaos and confusion and things are all over the place, people are confused. But when they come to the gathering place, they see things in order. Good God Almighty. And they know that now I can put on the garment of praise. And, 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 so, and so they're here. And, and, and watch God now. Watch God. Here's why you need the garment of praise on. Oh, this was about to, I'm, this was going to grow hair back in my head when I finished this one. Watch this. <laughs> Are you ready for this one? Are you ready for this one? Woo! The tomb had been open not to let Jesus out. It was open to let you and I step in. Jesus walked through doors. Come on, somebody. You really think the stone is going to prevent him? The stone was moved so you and I can go in. Now, what happens when you wear the garment of the supernatural on your life? Acts 19, verse 11 and 12. Are you ready for this? Are you ready for this? Acts 19, verse 11 and 12. This is what it means to live in the power of the resurrection. I'm, I'm, I'm coming. I'm coming. Watch this. Acts 19, verse 11 and 12. God was doing extraordinary and unusual miracles by the hands of Paul. So that even the handkerchief. Or face towel or apron, come on, that had touched his skin was brought to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirit came out. I'm telling you, when you put on the gar I need someone who has the garment of praise to go ahead and praise God. I need someone who has the garment of praise to praise God. I know it's Easter and you're all dressed up, but I need somebody that's got the oosh. I need someone who has the garment of praise to give God praise. I need one person in this church to stand to your feet and say, God. Oh. God, I got the garment of praise on. I didn't just look. I stepped in it.
Hallelujah. He is risen. Come on, stand to your feet. He is risen. He is risen. Jesus is risen. Hallelujah. The handkerchief touched them. And they're like, whoo, there's something different about this handkerchief versus that handkerchief. Well, I have been in the presence of the resurrected king. And everything I touch, come on, somebody, has got to line up and be in order. And so that is the importance. That's why we must spend time in the presence of God. The apostle Paul was a tent maker. And what this meant that he was laboring in the things of God. He was making tents and he was sweating. And he had the apron and his whole uniform was up. And when he was taking them off, he was so anointed because he was doing a labor for the Lord. That they took the handkerchief and people who were sick, he just touched them and they were healed. The power of the resurrection. You may be seated. Now, this is the climax right here. This is the climax. Hold on to your chair. Come on. This is the climax. We're about to go through some turbulence, but it's going to be okay. We've got to go higher. Someone say go higher. Uh-huh. I was talking to a pilot one day. We were flying from Texas. We were at a prayer conference, and I noticed the pilot was waiting for his plane to come, and, and I'm believing God for a plane. Amen, somebody. Come on, you can believe God for what you're believing God for. I'm believing God for a plane. Amen. Ah, huh? come on. I believe I got to go and tell. Come on, somebody. Amen. And so I just believe someone who is wealthy. <laughs> Good God. I'm blowing some of your minds the way I'm dreaming. Come on, somebody. It's, I just feel like to give you this plane. Amen, somebody. If Pilate can get permission for the body, someone can give me a plane. So, so I'm waiting for this pilot. And, and, and I said to him, hey, listen, i got to ask you a question. Um, where's the best place to sit on the plane when we go through turbulence? He says, well, um, if you sit in the back, yeah, there's more. But it's pretty much relatively the same. But, but yes, if you're closer, you know, to, to the cockpit than, than, than to the front, you know, it's not as much. I said, well, do you feel? He goes, well, we don't feel as much as, as, much as you do. I said, okay. I said, let me ask you a question. So, so when you're going through the, through, through, through the air and... And you're experiencing turbulence. What do you do? He says, well, our view of what we're seeing is different from what you guys are seeing back there. And, 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 so, and so sometimes we have to, we have to climb. <laughs> sometimes we got to go another altitude. Come on, somebody. We, 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 we just got to get over that circle. We just, we just got to climb. And, 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 and just we, 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 we've got to have another law that supersedes gravity. And we've got to climb and go over. And then we smooth out. I'm here to tell you that once you step into the empty tomb, when you step out, you're going to elevate. Come on. And things that used to cause you friction and earthquake now, you just walk on those things. Come on, somebody. Huh? The storm of life that used to be waged and war against you now, because he is risen now, those things have got to go down. They've got to bow down. So now we're going to talk about the triumph of Christ. It's one thing to see the empty tomb. It's one thing to come and to look at it and to say, yes, he's risen. That's one thing. But there's another thing to live in the power of the triumph Christ or the triumph of Christ. Colossians chapter 2 verse 15 says this. This is the crown of your head. This speaks of the crown of your head. It says in Colossians 2 verse 15, he disarmed the rulers and the authorities and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities. Revelations 1 verse 17 and 20 says this, When I saw him, when I saw him, when I saw the resurrected Christ, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me saying, Fear not, fear not, I am the first and the last. And the living one, I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys. And I had the keys. Not to your front door. I had the keys. Not to your car. I had the keys. Not even to your heart. I had the keys of death. 
and Hades. Ooh, God Almighty. I have triumphed over this thing called death. So it doesn't matter what the doctor's report is. He has conquered death. He has. Come on, somebody. Paul makes the statement. Oh, I feel the soul in my spirit. Paul makes the statement, Gary. He says, I'm stuck between two opinions or two ways of going. To go home to be with Jesus. Because one encounter with Jesus changes everything. He says, I want to go and be with Jesus because he's conquered death. Hell and the grave. But I want to got to stay here because there's more for me to do. And so there's a rusting taking place. But the assurance, my friend, is this. He is victorious. He is victorious. And as long as you have breath inside of your body, you will proclaim, He is risen. As long as you got breath in your body, you will proclaim he is risen. As long as you got breath in your mouth, you will say he is risen. As long as you have breath, you will say that he is risen. The triumph of Christ. But I end with this. In this room, right here, at 11.34 a.m. on this Resurrection Sunday, I told you the message of Easter is inclusive. And in this room, after everything I've said, after everything we looked at, after all the rejoicing, after all the celebration, after all the communion, after everyone is gone, after everything is done, after we turn off the lights, after everything is over, there will be some who will leave here conflicted. Their experience versus the encounter. I know what I experienced with my eyes. They didn't nail him to the cross. But you're telling me of an encounter? I'm conflicted. And it was like when I first got saved, I would, I, I would say, okay, Jesus, you are Lord. And, and as soon as I got to school and I saw a nice girl come by, oops, it's over again. My experience trumped the encounter. And some of you, you've heard the gospel message. And some of you have heard the message over and over again. But you go back home to the experience and you forget the encounter. You're conflicted. It's not that you don't believe in God. It's not that you're an atheist. It's not that you're agnostic. You're just saying my experiences are trumping this encounter. This abuse from this man, this, this experience from a friend, this betrayal, this, this sabotage, this, this, this resentment. I, I'm conflicted. Ian, I know you're telling me that if I, that if I come with you and, and if I take this card and we believe, but I'm conflicted, man. I'm, Actually, I'm conflicted. I know my parents tell me to act one way when I'm home, but when I get to school and all my friends are doing it, what am I supposed to do? I'm conflicted. Dave, I know, I know you know the gospel. There's times I get to work and everybody else is doing their thing, and, and I'm conflicted because I can't deny the encounter, but the reality of my experience is right in front of me. I'm conflicted. You're in this room here. You are. You're here. And it might be a secret that you never told anybody, but Jesus is saying to you today, it's time for you to triumph. It's time for you to walk out of that place of being conflicted and living by your conviction. Thomas is the person that many of us find ourselves in. Thomas, when they said, let's go to Jerusalem, excuse me, he said, they're going to kill us. He says, well, let's go and die then. So on one hand, Thomas is saying, well, let's go. But on the other hand, he's saying, I don't know. On one hand, Mother Cookie saying, let's go. But on the other hand, his mind is saying, I don't know. I don't know if I can believe you, Peter. And he wasn't there when Jesus stepped through the door and came to the disciples who was afraid and he breathed on them. See, back to the creativity of the Spirit. It's when the Spirit of God breathes on you, you get this encounter. Come on, somebody. So what you need to no longer be conflicted, you need the breath of God to... Over here, over here, over here, ready? <sighs> Woo! 
He's blowing all your pressure. He's blowing everything away. He's blowing every enemy's lie. He's blowing them away. Over here. And over here, over here, he's blowing it away. Thomas wasn't there for the breath. And he said, I'm not denying your guys' experience, but I got my own. I'm conflicted. And so this Resurrection Sunday is in the city of Marin. And wherever you live, there are people you're going to encounter that they can't say, we believe. They're conflicted. They're conflicted. But I'm here to tell you that when you leave this place with an encounter and the power and the presence of God, and you put on the garment of praise and your sweat now becomes anointed sweat, you're going to tell them you will have an encounter that will cause you to triumph in Jesus Christ. If you believe that, say amen you got to put down the drugs. This is the last time that you would take the pot bottle. You would take the needle. Come on, somebody. Because you are no longer conflicted now. The encounter of God, one step can help 12 steps. Come on, somebody. And I know you may take 12 steps, but you got to take one more step. Step into the empty tomb and encounter the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Someone say, I'm conflicted. Eight days later, eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas this time is with them. This is your eighth day. Uh Uh-huh. You've been to many services. Come on, you've been to many churches, but this is your eighth day. You now stepped in and Jesus is here. The reason why I know he's here is because I know he dwells within me. So I know he's here. And it says, although the door was locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. A conflicted soul, what they need is to know the peace of God. A soul that is going back and forth needs the peace of God, the shalom of God. Then he said to Thomas, put your fingers here and see my hands. And put your hands and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, says, my Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. Did you remember the day when you gave your heart to Jesus? You said, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Every head bowed, every eyes closed. Every head bowed, every eyes closed. He is risen. 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 What is the evidence that you are operated in the triumph of Christ? What is it that people around you, when you leave this place, as this movement goes throughout the city and throughout the state and throughout this country, we as a church, we've heard every other movement say what they believe. And they're trying to drown out the church. But I'm here to tell you, it starts today. That we will raise our voice and we will let every institution know what we believe. Come on, somebody. Not what we're against. But what we believe. Uh Uh-huh. Not what we're against, necessarily. But what we believe. And here it is. This is my prayer. This is God breathing on you. This is the church. Paul writes in in the book of Corinthians, and he says this. But thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumph in Christ. And through us spreads and makes evident everywhere the sweet fragrance of the knowledge of him. For we are the sweet fragrance of Christ. To God, among those who are saved and amongst those who are perishing. To the latter one, an aroma from death to death. But to the other, an aroma from life to life. 
living and fresh. If you're in this place and you are conflicted, I want you to take that card, we believe. I want you to put your name on that card. I want you to come to the cross. And I want you to find a place on the cross. Find a place on the cross. You would say, I believe. Help my unbelief. If you have a loved one that their attitude just stinks, they don't want anything to do with God, I want you to come because you're going to be that fragrance that's going to go to them and change the aroma of their attitude. I want you to write their names on that card and I want you to come. Don't just come and look in, but I want you to step in and experience the supernatural. Is there one person in this place that you're conflicted? You don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You think you do. You're not sure. I want you to come. I want you to come because we, we are going to pray because you are now in a place of the love. You are in a place of where this message of inclusion is available to you. If you're here and you've never accepted Jesus Christ, but today you heard the love of God, you've recognized now that I want this experience with this risen Christ. I want you to come, come with every head bow, every eyes close. Come, come. Come. The tomb is empty. He is risen. He is risen and we believe. And we believe. And we believe, we believe. If there's anybody on the sound of my voice, come on. Come on. This cross is going to be on display in the window when people walk by the gathering place. They're going to see and they're going to say, What is going on in there? And they're going to read, We believe. A loved one, you know, that's not a Christian. They don't know Christ. You be that fragrance. You be that aroma. I want you to come and nail their name to the cross. Thank you, Jesus.